The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 217, and I would like to just give a little bit of a caveat because, I don't know, we're recording this on a Friday, and we have garbage trucks, and one of my neighbors is doing their lawn. So if you hear background noise, I apologize Um, that's what happens when you have your studio in your house. So today we are interviewing a gentleman. Now this is kind of interesting. We have a presence on Instagram and, uh, a fellow reached out on Instagram and said he had a friend that had a really good story. And so I said, well, have your friend email us. You know, we have an email, the addiction podcast at yahoo.com. And so he did. His name is Chris He's 33 years old. He was born and raised in Washington, D.C. And this is very hard for me to say, but he was a heroin addict starting at age 12. And that makes me so sad. I don't even like to say it, but he has a history. And um, we're going to talk to him today. I'm going to have him tell us all about his uh, his addiction history and where he is today. He's turned his life around. And I think that stories like that are always something that, um, are important for you guys to hear. You know, I think a lot of you are, have a loved one who's addicted or you yourself are addicted and maybe you just need that glimmer of hope that, you know, this guy can turn it around and you know what? So can you or your loved one as well. So without further ado, let's talk to Chris Smith. So Chris, is it Smith? Chris Smith? Yeah. Super okay. Chris, okay. <laughs> Chris Smith, thank you for being on the podcast today. And thank you for being willing to share your story. Not everybody is because I know that we're going to talk about a time in your life, which you might want to forget sometimes, but you know, I think it's important because I think whenever someone like such as yourself tells their story on the podcast, it resonates with somebody who listens. And our hope is that either they get into treatment or if they have a loved one that is addicted, that they get their loved one into treatment. So I really appreciate you being willing to share your story. I appreciate you guys having me here to do this. So Absolutely. So how did you get started on drugs? I I read a little bit about it in the intro and it was pretty scary, but you didn't start with heroin, did you? No, no. I, uh, so my mom, so like my dad had left when I was five. Um, and my mom, uh, raised me and my, my mom and my grandmother, but my grandmother has like severe mental health issues. So my bo- my mom basically raised me, my younger sister, my older sister and my grandmother. Um, and when she met my stepdad, they moved out to um, this place in Virginia called Sterling Park. And I think I was 11. And within like two weeks, I had met a kid riding my bike, um, a neighborhood kid. And, you know, we were, we would, we would, duck off and go smoke cigarettes and um by the time i was i was before i was 12 um there was another kid in the neighborhood whose older brother was smoking weed and uh 
I wanted to smoke. I the older kids did it. I was new. Um, and I wanted to smoke and, uh, they were like, no, dude, you're like 11. <laughs> so, um, I kind of like pissed them off and made them let me. And, uh, I took a gravity bong hit for the first, first thing I ever did in my life. Um, minus when I was six, I was prescribed Ritalin, Dexedrine, Adderall, Wellbutrin, all that stuff. But as far as abuse goes, it, I smoked weed, uh, at 11 and, um, that was kind of what started everything. Uh, were you still were you still taking Adderall and? No, I was selling them though. No, oh. I, I was I was selling them. By the time I was ten, I started realizing like older kids want these, and I started selling them. Right. So because while they while they calm you down as a young kid, once you reach puberty, they have a tendency to speed speed someone up. So, so okay, well your career started early. Sorry for interrupting. You can That's keep okay. going. Um. So, I mean, so it was like, I remember when I took this gravity bone hit, um, I ended up passing out, oh, like bent over the arm of a couch. <laughs> and uh, when I, when, when everything was said and done, I was like, I want to do that again. Um, and it was kind of, I guess it would have been from like a very young age. Like I didn't know at the time, but like in retrospect, I definitely had like serious addictive traits you know if i like something and i still am like that you know if i like something it's balls to the wall i need to do it like a hundred percent or i don't do it at all and um you know so by by 12 weed was every day i was smoking weed every day and um i started selling weed in school and um i got introduced to be honest i don't remember how it happened but i was 12 and i'll never forget like the way that it was presented to me um somebody gave me and to, to this day i can't remember who it was but somebody had given me a, a an oxycontin a 40 milligram oxycontin and um i was like what is this you know what i don't know what to do with this and they were like suck on it till the yellow part's gone and crush it up and sniff it um and i was like but why would i do that you know and they're like you think weed makes you feel good this will make you feel good. So I did. Um, and uh, I did. I was scared because they made it seem like it was dangerous. Um, but I was scared. So I, I did like a, a half of it. And um, I just that feeling, that warm feeling that, that came over me, it, it was game over. From that point on, I knew like this is what I've been searching for, even though I was only 12. Like this is what I've been searching for. This is what makes me feel good. And, um, uh, it, it became an everyday thing, uh, within like two weeks I was finding them. And then when I couldn't get the 40 milligram ones, it was the 80 milligram Oxycontins. And that was when everything really kind of like took off. Um, you know, my mom didn't know, you know, like she knew I was getting into trouble and in school and, and, you know, fighting and things like that. But like, she didn't know that I was that I was doing drugs. She knew I would smoke cigarettes and she, you know, my mom, she doesn't smoke anymore. Um, but she used to smoke cigarettes and I used to steal her cigarettes and she used to know, but she knew that she couldn't do anything if she couldn't catch me. So, um, you know, well, you said, you said she raised you and how many siblings? My younger and older sister as well. Right. So she, here's a single mom with three kids. Um, yep. I can understand how she might not have, you know, knew you were getting in trouble because she would hear that, but not necessarily 
have the attention, if you will, to observe what was going on. And I don't say that in any way to be um, disrespectful to your mother. I, you know, it's difficult with three kids. Right. And I was the black sheep as well. Like I was the, I'm the only boy. So I was mama's boy and, you know, I could get away with murder, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, my older sister, you know, had friends that were into whatever it was, you know, and my mom, they would have friends over and, uh, you know, to this day, I'm not sure that my mom or even my older sister knows, but, um, like I used to sell them pills and weed (laughs) when I was like 12, you know? So, um, by the end of my freshman year in high school, um, I was 13 and I was at this girl's house and her brother was a heroin addict. He was much older than us and he was a heroin addict. Come to find out my next door neighbor was a raging heroin addict, um, much older than me and uh, didn't know that. But um, until later on, and it's crazy how everything like links together. So the guy whose house I smoked weed at the first time, his mom's boyfriend happens to be the cousin of my next door neighbor. So they were smoking crack and shooting heroin, smoking PCP. And, um, you know, so I was, I was kind of introduced to all of that, like super early. Um, and when I was over at this girl's house, uh, I told him that I wanted, uh, I knew he was, I knew he was doing drugs, right. But I didn't know what, so I was like, I want, I want Oxycontin. Like I can't get it right now and I need it. Um, because at this point I now knew what being sick was. Um, you know, I got sick for the first time at 13 years old and uh, I experienced withdrawals and was like the, the first couple of times I didn't know what it was, but I knew that like all I wanted was to get high. And, uh, and when you say sick, you mean dope sick, right? I mean, in withdrawals. yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would search for it mainly with the older kids. Cause I didn't really hang out with kids my age. So, um, yeah, I was over at the house. I told him I wanted Oxycontins. He said he couldn't get them, but he had, um, fentanyl patches and he was melting them down and, and shooting them. And, uh, I was, I didn't want to, I wanted to shoot it. I, I, the whole like thing, just everything about drugs in general intrigued me. You know, I, I thought it was like, the coolest thing ever come to find out is the lamest thing ever, you know, but it's, um, I wanted to shoot it. And he was like, no, like that. This is not, don't ask me because I'm not going to, he basically, he said, I'm not going to pop your cherry. Um, I'm not going to be the first one to do this because that is not going to be on my hands. So, um, he gave me a volume, which I had never eaten a benzo before, uh, gave me a volume and I took it. And then he squeezed a fentanyl patch under my tongue. And uh, I remember him saying, oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, shit, what? <laughs> He's like, spit it out. Like, I gave you too much. And the mix between an opiate and a benzo anyway is deadly, but let alone fentanyl. And I i didn't have a fentanyl addiction. It was Oxycontin. And this is 10 times more powerful. So um, I spit it out. But I guess it was... It had already like some of it had already absorbed under my tongue and uh, um, I didn't wake up for two days. Okay. Now, how old are you when you did this? 13. How old were you? 13. So um, it was like two days that um, I don't remember, but apparently I was in, in the bed at her house for two days. 
And um, I woke up and was like, what, you know, I thought it was just like a couple hours later. And she's like, dude, you haven't, you haven't like been to school. Um, like we, th- we knew you were alive, but like, we thought you were just like passed out. And her mom was kind of like, I don't want to say alcoholic, but her mom partied. So we were allowed to party there. Mm-hmm. Um, and things went unnoticed like me being in a bed for two days. So, um, yeah, that, and when I came to, I was still high and I, uh, I was like, this is an amazing feeling. Um, and I don't ever want to let this go. So I told him, um, I was there maybe a week later and I told him I wanted heroin and he was like, Nope, like this is, that's, you know, you're, you're like really pushing this, um, and you know what's interesting to me, Chris, and and I'm not a former addict, so I don't quite know the effects of the drugs on a personal basis, but isn't fentanyl way worse than heroin? Yes. So why would he think that was okay, but not shooting you up with heroin? I'm, I, I, guess, I guess it doesn't I, have to make sense, does it? I guess in like 2001, uh, 2000, 2001, um, heroin had more of a taboo than a prescription fentanyl patch, you know? So, um, it's, it, it still wasn't at the point that it is now. Um, so, um, but money talks, especially for an addict who's in full blown addiction. So when I can help support his habit, he's going to give me what I want. Um, and I paid for a bag of heroin and that was the first time that I ever did heroin and I sniffed it and I threw up for like five hours, just, (laughs) constant puking and um i was it tasted gross and bitter and i I hated it and i was like this why do people do this you know but when i was done vomiting the feeling was the same as the oxys but more powerful and i was like that's why people do this um so i went home and uh, a couple days later I asked my next door neighbor because I knew something was up. I'm very observant. I've always been like that since a kid. Um, And I I don't know if you would call it like a natural intuitive or uh, whatever it might be. But like I pick up on energy really easily. And I just knew my next door neighbor was into something. Plus um, being around his cousin who was my friend's mother's boyfriend. I knew that they did drugs. So I asked him, do you have dope? You know, do you have heroin? And the answer was no, but I can get you a Dilaudid. So I'm like, okay, we'll try that. So I did that, loved it, asked for it the next day. He said, no, but we're going to DC to get heroin. I said, okay, well, heroin it is. And, um, you know, here these guys are, 24, 25, taking a 13-year-old into DC. Mind you, I'm very comfortable in DC. It's where I'm from. So, like, it wasn't a big deal. But the fact that, like, they're doing this because they're they're getting free drugs out of it, you know? And um, you, how, where'd you get the money? Selling drugs? That's how you got the money to selling weed, habit, basically? Um, okay. Yeah, selling weed and also, like, just minor things like mowing lawns and just little things like that, that, like, a typical young teenager would be doing to try and make a couple bucks. Okay. Um, you know, or my mom, because she didn't know, you know. So, uh, yeah, I rode into D.C. and uh, we got these little um these little black ziploc bags and he was like can i get two of them um and i was like yeah sure uh i'll pay you back (laughs) 
So never got paid back. But, um, you know, that was my uh, introduction to to uh, really the full experience of going to get it and everything like that instead of just being somewhere where it shows up. Um, and we got back and I went into his house and he was like, have you mainlined? And uh, I was like, no, but I want to. And he's like, all right, cool. So uh, he took a syringe and it wasn't even a new one. He bleached the syringe to clean it. Um, and he shot me up and I, uh, like that was, that was it. That was it. Wow. That was the point of no return. That was it right there. Wow. Well, you mean the point of no return and that you were not going back on your addiction later yep. on. I want to want you to tell me the point of no return when you decided to get. Yeah, clean, yeah, yeah, definitely. This, for is sure. different, this is the point of you are now addicted and not getting coming back yep. from that right mm -hmm. away. Um, it would take years. It take, it took years before I decided to make the, the decision to get my life together. But that, um, did that, you finish school? Did you yeah. go into no? Yeah, no, I finished. Oh, yeah. you finished. I, okay. Um, yeah, so I you graduated would, from I, high school and, mm -hmm. um, so I, I got my GED actually. Uh, oh, okay. So at a young, at, at 13, this is all happening around the same time I joined a gang. Um, and uh, I was doing things for them um, that, you know, to this day I still live with. So um, it was more of a, I guess I just wanted to fit in somewhere. And when I was on drugs, I fit in everywhere. So it kind of went hand in hand. And some of the things that I had to do, like I couldn't do unless I was on drugs. Right. Uh, so, you know, but I didn't skip school. I didn't do, I always went to school. Um, I'd sit there and put my textbook in front of me and sniff drugs while I was in school or I'd shoot wow. heroin in the bathroom. But um, I went, at least I went, um, you know, and then I was getting, I just kept getting suspended and, um, for like fighting and, you know, the other gangs and stuff like the kids. And, um, there was this, uh, a really bad, um, I guess you could say like a really bad beating of someone and, uh, somebody got stabbed and I got, um, sent to an alternative school. So, um, like basically you throughout did the stabbing or you were with, the no, person not, that did no, the stabbing? no, I was okay. just there. Um, okay. I helped beat the kid up, but I didn't, I'm not the one that stabbed him. So, okay. um, that it kind of just got worse. I started trying everything else, like, you know, LSD and mushrooms. And um, I had a, uh, about a year long run with ecstasy um, where I was going into clubs underage and I was eating them in school. And um, like, I was just constantly high, constantly just out of my mind. I was shooting cocaine by the time I was 14 um, with a full blown IV heroin addiction. Um, and I would speedball. And uh, I remember going into a few different psychosis um, episodes, um, you know, pulling a, fighting my stepdad and, and pulling a gun on him and um, him literally like fighting me in the hallway, trying to get it away from me and, and stuff like that. So, um, OK, now your mom knows, I'm assuming. Yeah, she's aware. Yeah. You know, um, she didn't know what to do, but she knew I was doing drugs. She just didn't know the severity. Um, like she knew I had like to her, to her, I had like dabbled in cocaine. Like I had sniffed Coke a couple times, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Um, right. he's young, he'll try it. It is what right. it is. You know? Um, and she knew I was smoking weed and, and when she found me growing weed, um, in my room, 
that was when she was like, okay, are you going to tell me? I've always been really close with my mom. So I've always been able to tell my mom anything. So um, that was when she's like, are you going to tell me what's going on? And uh, she, it, it just so happened to be like at the same day that I came home the, the, the day, the night before I had gotten jumped really bad. I had gotten beat up um, by like 15 people. And um, I, like I was hitting the head with a beer bottle twice and it didn't break, but it cracked my head open. I had Timberland boot prints on my face, um, my back completely swollen with Nike and Reebok prints. And, um, you know, and, and I didn't care at the time. I, I just kept getting high. My, the next day, my mom was like, okay, your face is fucked up. Your body is completely fucking bruised. You have shoe prints on your neck and face. Like, can you tell me what's going on? And I'm finding weed in your room. Um, so I told her I'm in a gang. I'm not, I can't get out. Um, and I'm, I'm doing drugs. You know, that was how I said it. I didn't say specifically what drugs, but I told her I was doing drugs and, and, you know, she, of course she cried and she didn't know what to do. Um, but that was also, or I was 14 at this point. Okay. So the end of 14, almost 15, um, I had been really bad with wanting to try, uh, every drug I could get my hands on. And at this point I had the connections to get whatever I wanted. So, um, like everyone in school, even the kids that were out of school and graduated all knew like, Oh, you want drugs? You go to Chris, you know? Um, and it, it just kind of got a lot worse, especially when I was started shooting cocaine regularly. That was when things really, um, really got bad. Um, I got stabbed over a cocaine deal that went bad. Um, and I was, where? Um, the first one I was stabbed in my side twice. So like in this area twice. Yep. And um, the, you know, I've been stabbed twice and shot twice, but those are like later on. So uh, I got stabbed and uh, <laughs> didn't go to the hospital. I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything. Instead, um, my whole mentality at the time was, okay, he stabbed me over $120. Cause he wanted cocaine obviously. And, and, I, the real, the, the messed up thing was I was going to rob him anyway. I didn't have Coke for him, but, um, but his whole thing was he was going to rob me. So it kind of like went bad. It was bad from the start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he stabbed me and, um, I, uh, I ended up catching him somewhere else the same night and retaliated and, um, that was the the first time that like things had gotten really serious as far as like um we'll say like police go and stuff did like you, that. Did you stab him or did you just beat him up? No, I shot him. Oh, okay. And okay. uh it uh you know, and I can say it because this is all over with. Like this is all Understood. done. So um I am not gonna incriminate myself, but uh yeah, so that was when, like, uh, once that happened, um, between that, the drugs, and everything else, my mental health being, like, horrible at the time, depression, um, I'm not going to say I'm bipolar, but, like, I definitely showed signs of it at a young age. And um, Well, when you're doing that much drugs, and you're involved in a gang like that, I would kind of be surprised if you were walking around perfectly normal and happy mentally. Yeah, Just um, and I was actually getting... Um, I can't like go into super detail, but I was getting punished, we'll say, 
by the gang for doing drugs. We're not, we weren't allowed to do that. And so I'd be getting beat up two, three times a week, you know? Wow. So. Why did they then, kick you out? You said you couldn't leave if you continue. doesn't work like that. And plus when you have somebody who is active, who's ready to do whatever at any given time, they're not going to let okay. go of that. So, um, it got to the point where they just said, fuck it. He's going to do what he wants to do, you know, but he's a good, you know, he's a shooter. We got him on the team and he does what he needs to do. Like, so we're just going to let him get away with it. Um, you know, cause Can they got I just to just ask you without like getting, uh, I don't want to get you into any kind of trouble, but like what kind of gang, like, was it like, I, I don't know when I think of gangs, I think of they're either like African-American or yes. they're Hispanic. So okay. African-American specifically, okay. Just specifically okay. uh uh seven trade gangs the crib and it wasn't um not east coast gang um, okay west coast so okay. um i became affiliated with the west coast at a very young age so it wasn't um one of the fake gangs you could say because there was a lot of them around here at the time so but there was a few that were actually real where the guys were from los angeles and um, that's the people who I got involved with. And they actually ended up being the people who I was selling cocaine for. Okay. So um, so you went to jail, uh, presumably, when you shot somebody. And No, I didn't go to jail. You I got, oh, you didn't. Uh, okay. I got, I got uh, probation. No, I guess you could say. Uh, I'm not because I, I got put on probation for something else. It just so happened at the time I had weed on me when I got when I did get brought up on this and they okay. found me because um, I was somewhat on the run, but not really because I would still go home. So if it was a big deal, they'd come to my house. That's that was my thinking. That was my thought. Well, I left my house one night and I had weed on me and they stopped me. Oh, and, okay. Um, they were like, look, we know we know what you did. And of course, deny, deny, deny. Um you know, so that didn't stick, but the weed did. So they did put okay. me on probation, but it wasn't for that. I got um, so, and I violated probation immediately. And I, uh, my probation officer, basically, um, they put me on house arrest. And they were like, because I immediately failed for cocaine and heroin and ecstasy and methamphetamines and everything else. And they were like, dude, you're going to die. So you're young. At this point, I was 15. They're like, you are young. Like, you can't be failing drug tests for all this. Like, you're going to go to juvie. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to juvie, you know. And my whole thought process was if I go into jail, there's no way I can keep getting high. Um, so, and I didn't want to be sick in jail. And I had heard stories of how juvenile detention centers were like gladiator schools, just nonstop fighting and and you know kids being like boys raping each other and things like that and um Yikes. so like i was actually scared of that you know yeah. uh, but but scared um, of that wasn't enough to make you get clean no okay no so they uh they put me on house arrest and they told me that i would have a house arrest officer coming by my house randomly to make sure i was there i would leave um i didn't care so instead of putting me in jail, um, I was given the option to go to treatment because they thought that this was, you know, I was tagged in the federal system as a gang member at a very young age. So they thought that like, 
it's not the gang activity. He's just, uh, he's, he's on drugs. So they, and, and mind you, this is like 2003, 2004. So, right. um, or 2000, yeah, 2002, 2003 around there. So they're like, you know, um, rehab, rehab, rehab. Um, so I went into treatment and, uh, it, it didn't really go great. I mean, it went how treatment would normally go. I detoxed from the heroin and, um, it was a state facility, so I didn't get the opportunity to take medication. Um, at this time, the only thing around Suboxone was around, but it wasn't really heavily used in, in detoxes and stuff yet. It was more methadone. So, um, but I didn't get to use anything except for Benadryl and ibuprofen. So I kicked, um, and I knew that if I didn't, you know, they said if I complete treatment, I get off probation, right? Because the, the charge was a weed charge. So I completed, I got off of probation. And uh, within a couple of days, I was I was shooting heroin again, and um, things kind of pro- progressed from there more more seriously with uh, with like everything else as well. Just my whole world was just falling apart, um, and uh, so I guess we fast forward. You know, typical drug use kept going, didn't stop. So at like sixteen, my I had a group of friends that I was close with. So at 16 years old, my, we were in the car and, um, he, it was two, two of my friends, um, were, were twin brothers. One had, uh, short hair, one had long hair. That's the way you could tell them apart. Mm. Um, and his brother was in the front seat. Another one of our friends was driving, and because by now we all have our licenses and stuff like that. So, um, and he was next to me and a car pulled up next to us, fired one shot. And um, I felt my head like just boom, hit the window. And um, I, my initial reaction is to grab like, you know, my, my face and, and it was just warm and wet. And I was like, holy shit, I got shot. I'm see, they shot me in the head. And uh, I looked down and, you know, there was blood all over my hands, but as, as I continued to move my head, I saw that he was in my lap with half of his head gone. So it was his brain matter in my mouth. And, um, that I I can say that that was the point where like my mental health went to a point that there was no, uh, I did, I didn't think that I would ever be the same. And I mean, honestly, I'm not the same, but that was when I was like, okay, I don't care about anything. Like no one cares about me. Um, you know, the whole pity pot. You can't get any worse, basically, right. at that point. Um, You're you know, rock so bottom. So exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, he's dead. Um, his brother just watched his twin get killed. And um, it, it was, it was, it, we decided that like war was, war was inevitable. That's, that's what we were going to do. Um, so within four weeks we had been going back and forth with this other gang and, uh, things got pretty bad. And, uh, his brother found out who killed him and he went to go kill him. And on the way there, they, the guy who killed his brother, his cousin caught him and shot him in the back of the head without him even knowing and killed him. So his oh mom, God, his mom lost her sons within you know, within a month, and uh, me and story and my... is like the worst 
movie ever. I'm, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's horrific. I mean, I appreciate you sharing it with us. And I think, you know, it's important, but I just feel bad for you. I mean, what you've gone through. Um, I mean, I guess it's just a part of a part of it. I don't know. That's just how it happens, you know, and we yeah. were, were conditioned to, to believe like, you know, you're going to die or you're going to go to prison. That's yeah. it. It's a different so, culture. You were involved I, in the whole drug culture and there yep. you go. And um, so within a seven month period, just to shorten this down, within a seven month period, I watched um, my, my other one of our other friends that we were close with, uh, I watched him get shot twice and killed and I held him while he died. I watched the light leave his eyes basically. Wow. And, um, so I was by myself. I had no more friends. I still had my friends, but I didn't have my brothers. You know what I mean? Like those were my right. brothers. So, um, that was it. Nobody cared. My life didn't matter. Nothing's going to be worse than this. I'd rather be dead. So I was very reckless. Um, very, very reckless after that um now i'm 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 17 at this point and um i got into a very big heroin operation and um i got in over my head basically <laughs> so there was a lot of money involved and when there's a lot of money there's a lot of risk where there's a lot of risk there's people who are willing to die for that money right and um the trips to baltimore now were daily this is when Philadelphia wasn't the epicenter of the epidemic. It was Baltimore, you know? Okay. So, um, I was going to Baltimore two to three times a day, um, which is an hour from me. So, um, just the money in the suburbs was crazy. My, my habit could be supported by selling drugs and I could sell drugs because I had the connections. I had the connections because, if somebody took me to a new guy when my guy wasn't around or I, I mean, to be honest, most of the time I met these people just by driving, I'd drive up and they would literally flag me down and step in front of my car. You know, um, it, it was open air just the way Kensington is now. And um, I got involved with somebody who was moving a lot of heroin and by a lot, I mean like multiple kilos a week. Wow. And, um, so my habit was just, you know, it was free dope. And all I had to do was sell to other kids and I, I and drive to Baltimore a couple of times. Like, sounds good to me. And um, 2005, I was in alternative school um, for my senior year in high school. And um, I wasn't, I failed algebra the major like every year. So they just put me in geometry my senior year. Um, little did I know that one credit was going to keep me from graduating, but I was only there for a semester and I was supposed to graduate early, but they didn't tell me any of this until after that. So I was like, Oh, okay. So can I come back for the second semester and just finish off with algebra? No. So I was like, Oh, so now school won't let me graduate. It's fuck everything now, you know? So, um, the, my girlfriend who I was dating at the time, she actually just passed away last year from, an, uh, from, uh, MRSA from uh, an infection from getting high. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, she was in the hospital. She left the hospital, didn't want to be there because she was sick. So she left the hospital, got a block away from the hospital and collapsed and died. Oh. So, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the whole 16, 17 
18 years old thing was just a, a blur kind of. Um, so I caught well, when my, did, when did you decide to get sober, Chris? Just, just about two years ago, actually. So I'd had, but I had, but, but prior to this, I had, um, some significant clean time a couple different times, you know? So, okay. um, a, so with school or whatever, I turned 18, um, well, at 17, I was technically, I was, I, I got charged with, I got set up and charged with the heroin charge. Um, pretty serious charge, especially for, uh, I was in Virginia. So for Virginia, especially in 2005, they did not play games with heroin. Like that was a, it's a Commonwealth, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was a very serious thing, especially with like what, you know, took place. And um, so I got charged and charged as an adult and uh, so they kind of brought up everything you know um and um i i i got a bond i bonded out and um violated my bond uh couldn't couldn't get clean um and there was heroin that was really really good coming from baltimore and a guy April 4th, April 13th, 2006. I was still fighting this case. April 13th, 2006. Um, there's a guy, nah, he wasn't a friend of mine, but he was a friend of everyone else that I knew. Um, he died from the heroin, right? So this was the first time we had like really heard, you know, like overdose. Um, April 14th, 2006, I overdosed for the first time on the same heroin. And it was a hot shot. It was insecticide. So, um, and I remember it vividly, very vividly. Um, I did it. Everyone said, be careful, dude. Like, be careful because this is good. So only do one. And it was the little vials. And at the time I was doing four or five vials. So I was like, why would I only do one? That's stupid. So when they didn't, when they weren't looking, um, I added another half of one in just whatever and i remember i did it i got this hot feeling and all of a sudden i just like i've never been i've never in my life still to this day and i work out religiously right um uh, like i bodybuild now and stuff like that so um still to this day i've never felt my pores on my on my face and body open up to drip water to drip yeah. sweat um i start pouring sweat i'm lightheaded my tongue went numb i knew i knew immediately something was wrong and I kept like I leaned, he had a bar, finished bar in the basement where we were. And I leaned up against the bar like this. And I was like, yo, something's wrong with this dope, man. Something's wrong with this dope. And, and they were like, what are you talking about? You know, they're like, bro, the dope's fine. Like we've been doing it all day. And I'm like, no, something's wrong with this dope, man. And um, I woke up um, with them pulling paddles off my chest in the hospital. Wow. And, um, I guess they had robbed me while I was um, unconscious. And, uh, when I arrived at the hospital, um, the doctors told my mom was there. There was enough time for my, my mom lived 15 minutes away from this specific hospital. There was enough time for them to call my mom, my mom to get in the car and to get there. Um, before I woke up, I had, according to the doctors, I had no heartbeat and no pulse for 18 minutes. So I was dead. Yeah. They, They used the defibrillator paddles, 14 milligrams of Narcan 
the defibrillator paddles tw- uh, three different times and it didn't work. The doctor said uh, he his words, quote, quote, like verbatim. Um, I said, fuck it. Hit him again. If he's dead, it's not going to make a difference. He hit me again and I woke up and uh, I ended up kicking a nurse and uh, punching one of the doctors, not knowing because I was freaking out. I didn't know what was going on. Um, that was my first overdose. And I looked down and my mom's at the end of the room like sobbing so yeah oh that kind of like <laughs> like messes me up because like i put my mom through that type of stuff yeah you know? she didn't deserve that so that was like the first time uh the first time my mom actually got to see how bad it was and also like the first time that i realized like um this shit's probably gonna kill me because i didn't have any intentions on stopping you know like i didn't right. want to stop i still didn't want to stop so um I got out of the hospital. Um, they said um, I, I stayed clean for 42 days uh, before I overdosed again. And um, this time it was, uh, it wasn't as bad, but I mean, I guess any overdose is bad, but like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as, uh, as long. We'll say. I was going to say you weren't dead as long. Right, right. Okay. So, okay. Um, and the, they said that it was like a miracle that I didn't have brain damage and stuff like that. Um, I think I did because my memory from that point on was like really bad. Uh, sometimes I'll be in the middle of a sentence and just completely forget what I was talking about. So um, I was still fighting the case initially. And uh, I violated my bond by doing all this because they found out, of course. Um, so I violated my bond. They put me back in jail. I detoxed in jail. Um, I had actually caught another case, which is how they caught me. Um, cause I guess I had a bench warrant for violating the bond anyway, caught another case. They said, Hey, um, you have like two options. Either you can go to prison for the rest of your life. Um, or you can go to treatment and do drug court. And I don't even know how my attorney was able to work that because like my charge wasn't a drug court qualified charge. So I don't know how he was able to do that. But um, I said, okay, let's do drug court. I didn't make it very long in drug court before I violated for getting high again. Um, And at that point I was just kind of so sick of doing what I was doing. You know, I stayed clean for a little while. Like I stayed clean. I don't think it was like nine months I was in drug court. And then, um, I got high and I went in and I to the, to like, you have to go to these little groups and stuff. So I went in and I, and it was drug test night. And, uh, and I was like, Hey, look, there's no point in testing me. I'm dirty. And they were like, okay. Um, we still have to test you. So they tested me. I tested positive for opiates for shooting heroin. And, um, I said, well, can I go downstairs and smoke a cigarette at least? And they were like, yeah, yeah. Just come back up. I took off and I ended up being in a police chase through three counties. Um, and finally my mom telling me turn the fuck around and bring the car back and i will meet you this way you can go in and your car won't get taken so i said okay so i went back through these back into loudon county um i parked in a parking lot the next thing i know i have 20 cops surrounding me uh with their guns drawn and all this crazy stuff so i caught more charges um and i got sent to prison for um total almost seven years 
So from 18 to almost 25, I was in prison. Oh my God. Um, and I didn't stop using, I was getting high in prison. Um, uh, it took a little while before I was able to figure out the ins and outs. Cause I basically grew up in prison. Um, like I, like from 18 to 25, you're becoming a man. Right. And that's where I learned manners. That's where I learned, uh, what real ego is. Um, and that's also where I learned that, like this mentality of, um, I, my, my whole life I've been a never back down type of person, but, right. um, that's where I learned the, the true, like personal level killer be killed type of mentality. Um, because when someone looks at you and says, I'm going to kill you white boy, you take that serious when they have 411 years that they're doing, you know? Right. So, um, they don't care. No, they don't. Yeah. So I was affiliated in prison. I, uh, in the Virginia system, it was, it's not white, black, like it is in the West coast and other places. It's blood, crip, Muslim, so on and so forth. And me with and my so affiliate. When you say affiliated, it means you were part of a gang. Absolutely. Yeah. It didn't okay. stop just because I went okay. to prison. Um, right. but me being white in prison, being a member of that gang was not really like, it wasn't really, it was frowned upon. So, um, so once again, even though my name was established, um, on the street, I now had to reestablish my name in prison. You are listening to the addiction podcast point of no return for more information on the podcast or to reach out. If you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at the addiction podcast at yahoo.com. Or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So it was just constant fighting, uh, people getting stabbed and you know people getting cut. And me going from uh, a level one, well, level two, technically. So in Virginia, you have uh, five levels of prison, one, two, three, four, and five. Five is a maximum security. Uh, level one is a work center. Level two is an open dormitory. So it's a little, it's still, uh, you know, fenced in, but it's less security. Level three is um, where you get cells. Uh, level three is murder and, and murder and, you know, and up. Right. Um, like violent cases and stuff. And then level four is just in between that and a maximum security. So it's a little more restricted movement, but it's... Uh, it's still like a serious place, you know? Right. So, and when you went in, you uh, were what level? A level two. Okay. Two, I started I at 
Um, you got Mecklenburg. escalated to what? Yeah. So I started at Mecklenburg, which is a receiving center, which is where you get your, um, it takes however long it takes for me. It took three months. Um, and then you get shipped to where you're supposed to be doing your time at your compound, your spread. I, um, I was a level two. So they shipped me to Haynesville. Well, the gang, uh, the gang sergeant at Haynesville hated me. I don't know what it was about him, but he hated me. So, um, I also, there was certain things that we abide by and there was the, the, the specific person who was running the yard for the Crips, um, the OG who was in charge, basically, um, you know, was involved in something that we disapprove of. So I beat his ass and tried to kill him. And, um, that got me sent to a level four and um i got to greensville which is a mix it's a three four mix and when as soon as i walked in you could feel the tension in the air not from me just in general and i was like i don't like it here you know this is this is where i gotta do the rest of my time at like this is crazy and i had heard stories of greensville you know it's it's the biggest penitentiary i think it's the second biggest on the east coast something like that um but it's so big, it has its own zip code. Wow. And uh, I got in there, and there was nobody in my gang, in my unit, and I was the only one. So immediately, I got into a fight. And um, yeah, I got into a fight. Things went crazy. I got transferred to another facility, was doing drugs. Um, the facility got raided by the FBI for drugs and prostitution, cell phones, all that stuff. And then I, uh, I came home April 23rd, 2012. Um, and two days later I was getting high. Okay. Um, so that was when the rehab and treatment thing really like kicked off. I moved to South Florida, um, to try and really try and get clean. I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I really want to get clean. Um, I called a murder charge. Um, Something earlier or? No. Oh, okay. Nope. I went to Florida, decided I didn't like it, came back, um, called a murder charge. Okay. Um, beat the murder charge. Uh, didn't stop me. Kept getting high. So I was like, okay, I have to go back to Florida now. That was like my runaway place. I run away and I'm good. I don't have to worry about it. I don't know anybody. I can go to treatment and I'm safe here. I went back to treatment in and out. Um, halfway houses, you know, do you know the whole South yeah. Florida shuffle? You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. So detox treatment, yeah. halfway, detox treatment. I just kept yep. doing it, doing it, doing yep. it, doing it. And uh, um, ended up overdosing. Um, so altogether... I actually, on my Instagram, I had just posted a couple weeks ago, I was cleaning out my old bedroom at my mom's house, and I found um, 20 of the 50-some hospital bracelets from overdoses. So, and I had posted them saying, you know, on my Instagram, like, yo, this is just a show with a bunch of jail IDs and jail uh, bracelets and stuff. And I'm like, this is just a show that no matter how bad it gets, like, it will get better if you really want it to. Right. You know, like if I can go through all this and, and get clean, I don't care what anyone says. I was the worst of the worst. Like it got to the point where I was, I was prostituting myself and like everything like that. And um, if I can do it, then it's, anyway, anybody can do it. 
you know, and uh, I firmly and I firmly believe that because well, what led you to uh, that point, though? What was what was your point of no return when uh, you said I have to get clean or I'm going to die? Um, I think I was comfortable with, with dying. I was comfortable with the idea of dying. OK, so death never scared me. What scared uh, you? What scares me is being alive and not having anything that I care about around me. So, um, or being stuck in that same cycle and not being able to get out. That's what scares me the most. Um, because I'm not fortunate enough to die from this and, and, and suffering. I'm, I'm the type that I'm going to be punished and have to sit in this suffering for the rest of my life. Right. And, um, that scares the shit out of me. Interesting. So, I mean, uh, that's, that's kind of an interesting perspective, but you're correct. I mean, after, you know, being dead for 18 minutes, obviously, this stuff was not going to kill you. So yeah. uh, oh, that was my mentality. You, you were more afraid of being alive and living in the hell you were in. That's interesting. Um, I actually told plenty of like therapists and psychiatrists, like, I'm not scared to die. And I promise you all the overdose you hear about, it's not going to be me. Drugs, drugs won't kill me, you know? And I've, I ended up in psych wards for suicide attempts and just a bunch of crazy, crazy shit, you know? So I've been, in, I've been in six different psych wards, um, for extended stays, um, for all for suicide attempts. Um, wow. and then, you know, over 50 treatment centers overdosed over 50 times. Um, you know, in 2016, I was shot twice. Um, that was kind of a situation where it was more of a wrong place, wrong time, um, type of thing. But, um, yeah, so I was shot twice. Then uh, uh, I got stabbed again, and I decided to move move home. Uh, I said, "Okay, I gotta come back because this is this is beginning to be like Florida is just the same as it is at home. I might as well be closer to my family." Right. Um, at this point, my family didn't want anything to do with me anyway. So, um, in two thousand, I want to say two thousand and. 2017 I moved back home so I was dating this girl um a lot of fucked up things happened um this we one of our roommates um little brother moved down from college to kind of keep an eye on his older sister I went and got dope with her in Florida um I, I she did it she was a heroin addict as well she did it and then I told her I said look like you cannot do any more like you're really high and I knew that she was this close to overdosing so I was like, I'm taking your stuff from you. And like tomorrow when you're back to normal, I'll give it back. But like, you're not about to die on my watch. Like, it's not a thing. And um, she, I guess, had like already taken some out or something, whatever the case may be. Long story short, we found her dead in her room. Oh. And um, that was when like that whole episode, that was when I was like, okay, I'm going back to D.C., so I looked at the girl I was dating and I said, either you can come with me or we don't. So we drove back to DC. Um, I got strung out on shooting Molly, uh, shooting heroin and smoking PCP. And um, I like lost my mind. She had enough of it. Um, I went into a store, I guess, and things were taking place. I was, I was, uh, was committing a crime, we'll say. And uh, I came out and the car was gone and all my shit was on the curb. And uh, she took the car and she drove back to Florida. And she said, I can't fucking do this anymore. You're crazy. 
So that was the 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 hopelessness point where um, I was like, okay, I have a surefire way of killing myself. I'm going to exit 10C, which is the highest overpass in DC. And I said, I'm going to jump off of it. And there's no way that I can survive that. So I'm sitting on the edge of the overpass and I getting ready to drop my phone off just to count to see how long it takes to hit the ground. And my friend calls me. He says, clean, right? Works program, all that stuff. He says, hey, man, what's, what are you doing, dude? I said, bro, I'm about to kill myself. I don't know why I answered the phone, to be honest with you, but I did. Mm. I said, I'm about to kill myself, dude. That's it. I'm over it. You know, he was like, why are you ready to go to detox? I said, bro, I've been there. Like, the fuck do I need to go again for? He said, are you ready to go, bro? I said, no, man, I'm not going. I'm sorry. He said, how about this? This was his deal. (laughs) (laughs) You go to detox, right? I'll get you in. You go to detox. Okay. I'll get somebody pick you up, get you on a plane, car, whatever the fuck it takes. I'll get you to detox. Not in Florida. I'll get you to a detox, right? And if you go through detox and you go through the treatment center that I'm working at right now, and when you're done, you still want to get high, I'll buy you your first bag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Uh, what else do I, what else do I got to lose? <laughs> so I'll go. So I went and um, that night I ended up, um, I had to wait until the next morning for them to come get me. And, uh, I wish that I could say that that was the last time I used, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that was the first true taste of sobriety I ever got. Okay. So I, um, I was in a prostitute with a bunch of, ho- uh, I was in a hotel with a bunch of prostitutes and, uh, you know, things just got out of control that night. And I left the next morning, um, went to, I went and I got high first, of course like any good addict would. Um, I overdosed twice back to back in the bathroom waiting on the driver to get me. Um, And when I woke up, I got high again and shot Molly to try and come back up, blacked out from that, had a seizure, woke up, shot more heroin because I was paranoid um, and uh, was just kind of in a cycle in in between my heart pounding out of my chest and me not being able to open my eyes. I walked outside the airport and I just didn't give a a single fuck. There was police right there and I smoked PCP and PCP um, liquid stinks when you smoke it. And the cops are literally looking at me in front of Reagan National Airport like, dude, what are you fucking doing? And I'm like, I'm going to detox. I don't give a fuck. And they were like, all right, enjoy it. But like. If that's not put out in the next couple minutes, you're going to jail. jail. (laughs) So I was like, whatever. I smoked. And as I'm smoking it, the woman pulls up. She picks me up. And uh, I don't remember the ride. Um, I remember walking into the detox. And uh, the only thing I remember from that day was they were walking by me to go to a group or something. And I heard some kids say, damn, it smells like PCP in here, dude. <laughs> and like, that's all I remember from that, that whole detox day. Okay. Um, it was kind of a blur. And then I ended up in treatment um, in Maryland. So I went to detox in New Jersey and uh, I ended up in treatment in Maryland at Fresh Start. And um, the people there were awesome to me. They were so good to me. Um they give a shit because they're in re- they're they're in recovery as well and right. 
they like they really want you to succeed you know what i mean so like um they were just really good to me and they made me feel like i wasn't like excluded you know what i mean so um i met a girl of course because that's what i do that's what i did um i'd always meet a girl in treatment and that was you know that was my thing my daughter was born in 2015 mind you so there was uh a period where I lived in New Jersey, caught cases in New Jersey, but I just didn't feel like it was relevant to be speaking on just because there's so much that happens. Um, so my da- I had my daughter in 2015, basically social services decided they were going to take her. I tried to fight for custody. Things went bad. Now her grandmother has her. Um, and it's not the best situation for me, but I still get to see my daughter. So like, that's what matters. Um, I'm still a father to her. So, which I wasn't able to do when I was getting high. Right. Um, and let's see yeah i met this girl thing we all we all got a place together you know my friend who got me into treatment you know we all got a we all rented a townhouse together we're all the sober crew and we're going to meetings every day we're working um i'm in the gym like i you know I'm, i started uh competing in uh classic physique which is like a, a, a division of bodybuilding so um like things were really good you know i had a sponsor i was working my steps i was doing you know everything i'm supposed to do and then all of a sudden she just decided that this wasn't working and that we need to be that she needs space and that she thinks I should move into an Oxford house, which is like another, it's like a halfway house. Only there's no manager. It's ran, excuse me, collectively um, by the house. Right. Uh, so I moved into an Oxford house. We broke up, go figure. Um, and I relapsed and um uh, I, that was when I started, uh, like prostituting myself. That was when, um, I, that was when I just kind of didn't care. Cause at that point I was like, you know, if I'm willing to go back to this, um, I'm going to do it all the way. All those not yet. Right. Say I, well, I would never, you know, all yeah. these never, I would never do that. I would never do this. Yeah, they're they're not yets. They're not nevers. They're just not yets because you haven't done it yet, but you will if you make it that far, you know? And um, I said all the things I would never do and I've done them 10 times over, you know? Um, So I was like, okay, moved, switched Oxford houses to one in DC um, in the area that I'm extremely familiar with Mm -hmm. uh, in the worst part of DC. Um, I was the only white guy in the neighborhood, period. Only white guy in the house. Um, but I'm used to those, that situation. I'm used to that. Um, so that didn't bother me. I felt more at home in there than I do in, than I do in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, so um, I was getting high, but I was also going to the methadone clinic. Because if I couldn't get a fix that day because I had to go to work or something, um, at least I wouldn't be sick. Where were you working? Uh, I've, I've been a private personal trainer forever. Um, that's like my thing. So, oh, while I was in prison, um, so I started going to college and stuff. So now I now have a double master's in exercise science and nutrition and an undergrad in, um, uh, biochemistry. Wow. And you did all that in, in prison? Yeah. And when I got out. So even through my addiction, I still was managed to like, if I want something, I get it. You know what I mean? Like if I really want to do something, I'm going to do it. Um, so you have kind of an over the rampart sort of view of life and it appears that whether it's taking drugs or getting educated or what you're doing now, you just kind of 
over the ramparts. Yeah, Do you know what I mean when I say that? Like you just happen. go full speed ahead? Yep. Uh, there's no, I don't give okay. anything 50%. You know, I'm, I'm the same way with my kids. They get 100%. My kids get, <laughs> my kids are my life. Okay, so um, now you're saying kids. How many kids do you okay. have? So I have two now. Um, okay. My son is 15 months old. So oh. he's the he's a little tank. That's my that's my boy. <laughs> um. So. I want to know more about this, your kid, but I still haven't heard. When did you this, uh, my story? This is finally actually, decide to get clean. <laughs> I'm actually getting ready to like get okay, clean. Okay, we're close. Point. We're close. So, okay. <laughs> I'm, uh, I met this girl on Facebook. Um, go figure. And we still start talking, whatever. And I was living in the hood in D.C., so there were shootouts and stuff like that. But I wasn't necessarily involved in the same type of stuff. I was kind of on my own, doing my own thing, like just trying to make, just trying to survive, basically. At this point, um, I was on Facetime with her. This has happened multiple times, um, but the point where I actually left and went back to Florida, because that's where she was living, um, was I was on FaceTime with her and I got into a shootout and I almost got hit. Oh, my God. And, you know, I can like in retrospect now, you know, um, like hindsight, you know, it's 2020. I, I didn't. I didn't think how of that would have affected her, you know, cause there was a couple of times where I got shot at or like somebody shot someone like while we were on FaceTime in my neighborhood, you know, and she just kept telling me she needs me to leave. You got to get out of there. Like you got to get out of there. Um, well, I got into a pretty serious shootout to where um, I was almost hit. And uh, a week later, a couple other things had happened and, um, uh, I ended up shooting somebody a couple times and, uh, you know, that became an issue in itself. Um, I, I beat the case, but, um, it wasn't an easy beat. Uh, I beat the case though. And, uh, we decided, she decided I'm going to fly your ass down here and you're gonna get the fuck away from there because you're going to die if you stay there. So I switched, I transferred my methadone clinic down there. So I was now be going to Fort Lauderdale. I wouldn't know anyone. Um, I don't know where to go in Fort Lauderdale. But if I go 20 minutes up the road, up 95 to West Palm Beach, I know where to go, you know? Right. Um, so I moved down there, start going to the clinic. It's clean for a while. Um, and uh, the things were really good, you know? Uh, we were living together. Uh, things were, were just really good, you know, for the first time in a long time, like I felt like, okay, I have somebody who cares about me. Like I got somebody in my corner, you know? And, um, she, I relapsed. I met with a, a friend of mine who I had known for, for years. He just passed away last year as well. Um, from an overdose after 11 months clean, about to have his first year and overdosed um so um like it's it's like it's crazy i have one overdose here um, another here he was shot eight times hung himself um killed himself freshman year died um another one overdose another one overdose like you know it's just but that's what I was used to, you know? Um, so she ended up getting pregnant. Um, I couldn't get my shit together at the time. I, I had met with my friend and he was getting high. 
and he didn't want me to get high, so he tried not to get high around me. But I ended up smoking crack and shooting crack and um, getting back into heroin. But at this point, it was fentanyl. So now I'm strung out on fentanyl. And, um, you know, a couple more overdoses happened. And um, she was pregnant. I went to detox in and out, in and out, in and out. And she was like, this is the last fucking time you're going to do this to me. So I went to detox. I came home. I went for a job interview. Somebody had told her that I was getting high. Um, at this particular time, I wasn't. Right. So I was really pissed when she confronted me. Um, of course. <laughs> so she had every reason to believe it, but I wasn't. So um, she kicks me out and says, this is it. You know, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm pregnant with your kid. Like, I, I can't do this. You know, so, um, and I understood that and, I, and, and I booked a flight and I left the same day and it just ended badly with us. And, um, uh, I went to Pennsylvania, stayed with a friend, overdosed. Um, a couple of days later, I was in New Jersey working with a friend of mine, um, doing like the semi truck driving and stuff and, you know, trying to make money cause I was homeless now. Um, and, uh, after a couple of weeks, I went back to Pennsylvania, went to Philly, spent a bunch of money on heroin. Cause I knew I could get rid of it. When I got back to DC, drove from Philly to DC, um, sold a bunch of heroin. My mom comes to pick me up. I, I was strung out too. My mom comes to pick me up and says, uh, she has my daughter with her, mm. and, which I didn't know. And, uh, she says, um, I want you to move back in. I'm staying in a hotel. She says, uh, I want you to move back in with us. And I was like, you're fucking crazy. Like, first off, I don't want to live with you. Like, cause I don't want rules. Second of all, if like in my head, I was like, I can't get high if I'm in your house. That's not happening. Mm -hmm. So she convinced me to move back in. Um, you know, now did she, was your daughter staying with her? No, 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 no. Oh, it was, okay. was just visiting. She's... Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, my mom convinced me to help with renovations and help clean up the house and all this stuff. So I was like, you know what? It's free rent. She's like, you can save your money. Like you'll be able to do this, that, and the third, just, you know, honestly, like it was because she knew I was going to die. So I think she didn't want me super far away. I think she just wanted me, if I was going to die, that she just wanted me a little bit closer. That's what I think. They had already picked out a casket and all that stuff. Like my mom told me that. <laughs> so they had already, they were ready. And, um, I moved back to my mom's a uh, couple months later, somebody was at my house. They overdosed. Um, and I was charged with falsely identifying myself to a law enforcement officer. I, I beat that case as well because it was bullshit, but that's when I got clean. They brought me to jail. I bonded out um, same day. And uh, they said, you got to go see your pretrial officer on Monday. And this was a Friday. I got out sat early Saturday morning. I said, well, shit, I'm going to fail a drug test. <laughs> uh, and I don't want to fail a drug test and go to jail over that. If I want to go to jail, I'm going to jail over something serious. And um, my, my, son, um, my son was just born, right? So my son was born uh, December 20th, right? Not, not, not last year um right um 
2019. Right. My son was born December 20th, 2019. So, yeah, I I went in, knew I was going to fail. Usually you get the free one. The first one's free, you know. You come back and fail again, they lock you up, right? Right. So I said, um, I don't want to go to jail for this. I don't. Um, he's he, I failed, and he said, "Okay, so you're, when you come in next week, um, if you fail, you know you violate your pretrial." I said, "Yeah, you know." And he said, "So don't fail." In my head, that's okay. Bring in fake pee. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's that's where I went. So not um, don't do drugs. Bring in right. fake pee. Okay. Um, I got home that day. And for a very long time, I was so sick of living like this. You know, like I was tired of this. The whole, mind you, this is years in the making. I was tired of living like this. I didn't want to do it anymore. I because you were how old then at that point? Um, so I'm about to be 34 now. So it's 30, 31, around 32. And you've basically been an addict for 19 years at that point. Yep. Um. So I was like, okay. I got home and I was like, all right. Every time I go to detox, I don't take medicine. I always kick cold turkey. That's how I've always been like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but um, I just. I, would, I wouldn't life. say you were crazy. I think that's <laughs> the way to do it personally. But I yeah. do too. Anyway. <laughs> I do yeah. too. And so this time I said, you know what? I told myself, um, first off, I was depressed. I was hopeless. I was suicidal. I was ready to die. I was trying to overdose with every shot I did. Um, you know, I. I just I didn't. I was broke as fuck. I didn't have any money. Um, my family hated me. They didn't want anything to do with me. I was just lucky enough to sleep in a fucking bed at night. Right. And, uh, I was like, I'm going to give myself from now until the time court is over with. Okay. And when court's done, I'm going to get high. That was my, my thing. I'm going to, I'll get high when court's over with. Okay. okay? Which was going to be like how long? Was it a couple weeks? Or? Supposed to be April, right? Okay. No, I'm not this year. Not this year. No, no, no. I know. I know. But how was that? Like a few months? Uh, at the time, it was four months away. Okay, four months. Okay, so you're giving so, yourself four months. Right. So um, the next obstacle was how do I get through the withdrawals? I wasn't going to detox, um, so something clicked. I, I just, I don't know. I can't explain it. I just was so fucking tired of it that, like, I was like, I'm going to lock myself in the basement. I'm just going to kick cold turkey. Um, and that's what I did. I kicked with no comfort meds. I didn't get the clonidine to help me sleep. I didn't get Seroquel, Trizodone, Suboxone, none of that shit. I just kicked cold turkey. Um, and, this is uh, in your mother's basement, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did she know what you were doing? Yep. Okay. And she was supportive of it. You know, she wanted, obviously she wanted me to like seek medical attention, but right. Um, I told her if I do that, I'm not going to, it's not, it's not going to work. Right. So I kicked and uh, I went through four days of like extreme, I was shooting 12 grams of fentanyl a day. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was sick every hour, maybe hour and a half if it was good. Um, so I, I was, continuously getting high and uh 
I just, I, I was, I was just over it, you know, and, and any addict that, that watches this, that's using or, or that, that, that he was using it and, and is clean now knows exactly what I'm talking about, where you wake up every single day and you pray that you die or something happens and you get clean where you don't have to go through withdrawals, you know, right. um, going to bed, praying that you die in your sleep. So you don't have to live another day like this. Like that's how it was. Right. Um, I literally like on my knees praying before I go to bed, God, please just let me die. Please wow. don't let me wake up. It was every day for probably, I don't know, 10 years. Just God, please don't let me wake up tomorrow. Just let me die in my fucking sleep, please. Oh. Um, and uh, I guess the universe had other plans. So I was going to say, he wasn't ready for you to go, Chris. Yet. I mean, you're, so, you're still here. Anyway, so now you're in the basement and you are I detoxing kicked. cold turkey. Yep, I kicked. I uh, went through four days of hell. On the fifth day, I said, okay, I have enough energy to eat, so I'm going to try and eat something. And um, the best way to get the shit out of your system, because fentanyl, any opiate is typically, if it's morphine or fentanyl-based, it's water-soluble, which means the more you sweat, the faster it gets out. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, uh, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work out. So I started working out at home first, you know, been used to prison workouts. So working out at home is not a big deal. Right. I worked out at home. I started getting healthy. I got back on my diets, you know, cause I'm a certified trainer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can't be out here skinny looking crazy, you know? So, um, I'm going to put that before and after picture <laughs> or on the video a couple times so people can get the idea <laughs> of where you were and where you right. are now. Um, that's a rough one too. I, I look terrible. Um, yes, you do, but you look great now. So that's what's important. Um, yeah, I, I just started hitting the gym heavy that, that became like my new addiction. Um, but I, I've always been like that. So when I'm, when I'm doing well, I'm in the gym, you know, when I fall off, cause I'm not in the gym anymore, you know? Right. Um, so I got my shit together and, um, I decided my kids are worth more than what I had been doing. So, um, talking about my kids gets me emotional cause they're like, absolutely. Um, they're like the reason probably my son so my daughter too but like my son is like the reason that i'm still alive right and then like i haven't killed myself yet because um and the reason you're clean and sober maybe yeah a big part of it because my yeah. dad um i guess i probably should have said this my dad uh i tried to rebuild a relationship with him and then in 2019 he passed away from cancer so okay. um like that was like a huge blow to me too so with my, my son being born the same year, um, I just, I couldn't let my son grow up the way that I did, like without his dad. Right. So that was another driving factor. Um, so I uh, decided that like whatever it was going to take is what it was going to take. So um, I've never completed pretrial. <laughs> I've always <laughs> violated bonds and... You know, my so that people, four month thing, uh, you never could get to the end of the four months. So you never could uh, get high. There you go. I could never, I could never get to the end of, uh, of a week of pretrial without using. So this <laughs> is specific time. Um, my pretrial officer had gotten to the point where she was like, you don't have to come in. You can call me every week. And then it was every two weeks. And then it was every three weeks. And, uh, I'm like, dude, she's, she wants me to get high <laughs> like she knows, <laughs> and she's going to call me in and I'm going to fail. So I was kind of like, not 
not wanting to use based on that alone um because i don't you trust can prove her wrong like right but at the time i like didn't trust law enforcement i thought they were all they were out to get me like you know so um, well to some degree they might have been right. <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> so they um because of covid and stuff my court date got pushed back um so there goes that four months right so i'm like damn now i gotta wait longer um <laughs> and it just so happened that within the you know within all jokes aside like within the within the first two months i knew that i was done it was just something to me like i don't believe when they say um you know there's there's a million ways for someone to get clean right i've done the meetings i've done i've done that you know um i've done the spiritual retreats and i've done you know all this stuff um and I, like, I found what works for me, you know, right. what works for me might not work for the next person, you know, but, um, I do still take principles and ideas from the 12 step programs. Like, you know, um, like I do take things one day at a time. Right. Um, I, I do, um, I do believe in having integrity. You know, I do believe that if I, if I'm not okay, then, my relationship with others can't be okay. You know, if I'm not good, then my son can't be good. So, um, I kind of started working like, uh, like working like on a spiritual level, if that, you know, if that makes sense. So absolutely, um, I'm not a God person, but, uh, there's something out there that I believe is bigger than me and yep. whatever it is, has kept me alive. Yep. Um, so I, uh, I decided that, you know, um, when they say that, you know, an addict is always an addict um, and that, you know, um, you can never say that you'll never use again. I don't believe that. You know, because thank can... you for saying that because I don't believe it either, Chris. I don't, I don't believe it either. Because... And, and when you say you're not a God person, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean to invalidate that, but God is whatever it is to you. Right. If it's the trees... If it's the sky, yep. if it's the feeling that you get watching your son, okay. Right. Do you know? Like something and, bigger than me. Exactly. Like perfect example. So when people say, uh, when people say, um, I don't believe there's something greater than me out there. I tell them, okay, go in the ocean and try to stop a wave. <laughs> Can't do it. That's a good one. You know? And uh, that's how it was told to me. You know, go in the ocean and try to stop a wave. Let's see if you can do it. Yep. You know, and like um, that. that's, that's how that's been my mentality. You know, there's something out there, you know, and it, and it, it's kept me alive and it's made my life worth living. And, and, you know, just, it took me being everything I've been through was not enough to get me to stop. So right. what got me to stop was not circumstances, not scenarios, not situations. Um, it was my emotional and mental well-being. I couldn't. It was either kill myself or just fucking really try, you know. Yep. Um, so that's what I did. And uh, so in my time being clean, um, you know, going on two years at this time, um, I've built two businesses. Mm -hmm. I just bought a brand new car yesterday. Ooh, um, what'd you buy? Uh, 2020 Camry SE okay. and uh, okay. good gas mileage. It's safe for my kids. You know, they're okay. my first, they're the first thought in my mind. So, right. um, you know, uh, I paid upfront, paid cash. 
So, um, you know. And your businesses are bodybuilding businesses, right? So one of them, okay, so here's where it gets controversial, right? So one of the businesses is uh, the cannabis industry. I don't smoke. However, um, I'm, I have a green thumb and I'm really good. I've grown vegetables and everything else for a long time. So I decided to try growing CBD, um, like hemp, right? Uh, I got really good at it and I got offered an opportunity to work for a cultivation center. So that's what I do. Um, I grow plants and I also work with, uh, terminally ill patients who use CBD, CBG and stuff like that. So yeah, I see medicinal. Let me just say, we are not in favor of legalization of recreational marijuana, but we acknowledge the fact that it is beneficial to people yep. on a medical basis. And right. somebody's got to supply think, it. So I don't think that uh, recreational should be legal because then then you're allowing people who are young to get an opportunity to when you get involved with specific crowds, like you're going to get involved with other crowds. So that the, the like, it's I don't believe in the gateway drug thing. Right. But I do believe that the likelihood of somebody being introduced and being peer pressured or curious to try something else is very much there. Okay. So, um, well, we could say the same thing. I think it is a gateway drug and you're kind of sort of saying it only kind of different and that's okay. And so, <laughs> and so then what's your second um, business? Uh, training. I'm a private okay. trainer. I have been for a very long time. Um, and like, do you have people who work for you or do you just do it on your own? I work or? on my own. Okay. Nope, I don't, okay. uh, so as far as like the other business goes, yeah, I have a whole group of people. Um, right. But with the training, uh, man, I love it. It's oh, so cool. Like I get to see the difference in, in, you know, people who are, you know, 300 pounds and severely obese and, and you know, same thing, depression and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, within a six month time period, these people are looking great and they're feeling good and they're so motivated. And like, like that stuff kind of keeps me going, you know, like I get Absolutely. to see. Um, like helping other people, you know, that's such a big thing. And I, and I don't say that in like a boisterous way, man. Like I, I, I really do enjoy helping people, you know, um, whether it's through knowledge or like me uh, coaching people through whatever it might be, whether it's fitness, whether it's um, even like peppers, right? So hot peppers, right? Mm-hmm. Growing hot peppers is like a big thing right now. So okay. there's all these crazy, you know, Scotch bonnets, Carolina Reapers and stuff like that. So like, it's like a hobby. Gardening is like a hobby. And for me, that's my peace of mind. You know, okay. the June is where I get it all out. And then my peace of mind is when I get in the garden. And do you um, eat the Carolina Reaper pepper? No, it's too hot for me. Okay. So, yeah. Like I was um, just checking. Too much. I, I <laughs> too much. So, um, you know, I mean, they, I could sort of do a jalapeno, but that's my limit. Okay. Right. See, my <laughs> mine would be like, um, yeah, jalapeno. That'd be about as, as bad as it goes, you know, but I'm a big fiend for uh, banana peppers. So I make sure that I'm always during the spring and summer that I always have banana peppers growing and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, like, you know, coaching people through their first grows and, and coaching people through their first time ever trying to lose weight or um, dieting properly. And I don't mean like these crazy fad diets and just all these little crazy, you know, I'm not going to make like name names, but like these little supplements that people are taking. Yeah. And if you just, if you eat clean and you, and you, you exercise regularly and you sleep, you're, you're going to be healthy. That's yep. it's super easy. No. Um, Well, let me just say, Chris, that I very well done on your sobriety. Um, You know, 
we know from having talked to many, many uh, recovered addicts that it's not easy. And, you know, especially not with your history, but your mindset of, like I said, like, you know, over the ramparts, full speed ahead, it sounds like you to some degree, excuse me for evaluating, have applied that to your sobriety in the same way that you applied it to your drug use. And we've actually heard that from other recovered addicts who said, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to, um, lost the word approach. You have to approach your sobriety with the same intensity and the same, um, you know, intention as you did your your drug abuse and i think that you know that's why now you have two successful businesses and you're living the clean and sober life so and and the thing is like i've had you know um those times where like drugs have been put in my face and the the thought never even crossed my mind like i firmly believe when you know you're done you know you're done yeah because i've had drugs in my face yep and been like get that the fuck away from me yeah you know like it's it's just not a thing like do i still have drug dreams yeah sometimes but do they bother me no right. do i still think about it not really and if i do it's like a really fleeting thought so the biggest thing that i can say that helped me the most right the biggest thing that helped me the most that if i could tell anybody who's struggling right would be that when when we have this euphoric recall um, where our brains are trained to think of the good from getting high as opposed to the bad, right? Retraining my brain to only think of bad shit about these drugs, not scenarios, not you're going to get arrested, not any of that. It's you're going to not be, you're going to be sick. You're going to be dope sick. You're not going to have any money. You're going to be broke. No one's going to like you. I had to retrain my brain to think of all of the negative feelings that I had to go through, especially at the very end. I keep those in the forefront of my mind every day because like, I don't want to go back to feeling like that. I can support a habit. I can do all this stuff, but feeling like that is something I never want to experience again. And that's what keeps me from going back because I don't want to feel that hopeless depression, never going to get out of this type of mindset. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do it again. Well, I think that's a great way to end, Chris. Um, I cannot thank you enough. I mean, you've got, you know, you said in the email you sent us, you said um, real, raw, no bullshit and hardcore. That's what your story is. Um, I'm probably going to have to break it into two segments, and, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, I, if I listen to the first half, I would definitely want to come back for the second half and find out how it ends. So I just really appreciate you taking the time to tell us your story. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I just have to say, I think that that is one of the most raw stories that um, we've heard on the podcast. Definitely no holds barred. You got to take, you got to think that if you are an addict, um, chances are your life has not been that bad. And so if Chris can get clean and sober, hey, so can you. Same thing if you have a loved one who's addicted. You know, if Chris can do it, you know, pretty much anybody can. I mean, yeah. So if you or someone you know needs to get into treatment, please don't wait. You know, you are important. Okay. You are important to 
at least someone. And if you're not important to anyone you know, I can tell you right now, you're important to me. So get yourself into treatment and get help and do it now. Don't wait. Thank you for listening. We will be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.